and it requires the best of those who attempt it. Uh, and I was, I was researching that. It takes about a year just to prepare your body and your mind as you climb. And you're stretched emotionally and physically to your absolute limit. Not just the training, but the financial cost. Um, just to get the permit to climb the mountain costs about $20,000. Just the permit. Let alone all the equipment, all the supplies. And for, for some of us who have been uh, climber, who are climbers, mountaineers, just the equipment alone is expensive itself. The shoes, the jackets, the, the, the energy bars. <laughs> and, Kendall. Uh, Kendall what, what they were saying is that this quest to climb a mountain means that everything else in your life takes a back seat. And so for a solid year, anyone who climbs, who dares to climb Mount Everest, must have this sort of singular focus. And so when George Mallory the, the famous mountaineer, he, he, made three, he tried to make three attempts to climb Mount Everest. And he was asked, why did he want, want it so badly? The financial cost, the cost of his, uh, his marriage and relationships and family. And he quickly and simply replied, because it's there. Because it's there. And these have become, apparently these have become the, the most famous three words in, in mountaineering. So whether it's Mount Everest or K2, or maybe for some of us our climb, our greatest climb is to climb the stairs at Alan Tube Station. That's, uh, that's, we've done it without going on the escalators. <laughs> there's something, there's something deep within us, isn't it, to to go to the splendour. To there's something that's moved within us to go beyond, uh, to go to the peaks of the planet because God's. God dwells there. And there's so much in Scripture about the mountain. And so, so before we pray, I'm not sure whether I've started my timing yet. <laughs> I don't know when you sort of start the timing, but um, let's pray. So Father, um, bless this preacher. Um, <laughs> I pray you, you inspire him. Uh, and Father, the, I thank you that you are in the mountains, you're in the seas, you're in some kind of weird, random building in the middle of Adam. And we ask for your, your spirit to come. We ask for the words that we hear, they would, that some of them would resonate deeply inside us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So please turn with me to Psalm 24. Uh, in your Bibles, if you haven't got Bibles, we can have the words up on the screen. Do help yourself. We've got some Bibles at the back. If you don't own a Bible, Please take one without our compliments. So Psalm, Psalm 24. It's a really short one as well, so it's, it's great. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. You do not put their trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek you, who seek his faith, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. 
Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true. It was given to us in love. I love this passage. It's a brilliant passage. And the, the psalmist makes this broad, sweeping statement as he sets the stage for what's to follow. He says, the Lord is, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. The world we live in. It goes on. And then it goes to the question of questions in verse 4. Oh, sorry, verse 3. And this is the question we want to think about today. Who, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? If, if there is indeed a God, and some of you may still have those questions, is there a God? Does he really exist? Is what he says in here true? Are those weird songs that you sing, that you've been singing earlier, is that really true? So you may still be having those questions. Uh, and the fundamental question that every religion, every uh, ideology, philosophy is asking, I believe, I want to propose, is who is able to meet God? Or, who, to put it another way, is there a man or woman or child who can see God? And I, I believe that this question that all of mankind has been asking since the Garden of Eden, since that great fall, since that day, in, a, in an attempt to get nearer to God, to ascend the mountain of God, we built uh, statues, we built temples, even churches and grand cathedrals. We built, the Bible talks about this tower of Babel, like trying to get nearer and nearer God. We've made pilgrimages around cities. Uh, we've spent $9 billion on particle to to collide with subatomic matters. All because we want to see God. All because we want to discover creation. Is there a God? Is this really true? And so the question the psalmist is saying is who? Who is the mighty man or woman who can scale the towering heights of the mountain of the Lord? And so let, let us examine ourselves today and uh, ask this question. Is it me? Just turn to your name. So, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Is anyone lucky enough to get together? Oh, it's happening. So, I want to propose the answer might surprise you. See, the psalmist declared that what God is after are not strong people, not the smart people, not self-confident people, uh, not the successful people, not the kind of the gym guys who look who are buff and they look good, <laughs> or those that earn a certain amount. We are less But this is what we're reading, verse 4. Psalm 24, verse 7. It says, those who have a clean hand and a pure heart, do not put their trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So, what we want to look at is what, what does it mean to have a clean hand? In the Bible, 
hands are used in different symbolic ways. Just, just look at your hands. Uh, to shake hands in the Bible means to enter into a formal agreement with someone. To clap hands is to celebrate. To put your hands over your mouth signifies silence. Some of you want me to do that. Um, to put someone, to put your hands over your head means to symbolise grief. And of course, as the Bible talks about, we lift up these holy hands to God in worship to celebrate as an act of worship. That's why here some of you have been like. What's all that hand raising about? Why would you do that? Now, if I go to my beloved West Ham, I'll be in the terraces lifting up my hands and singing, or if I'm going to the concert, you'll be lifting up your hands and singing. All of human nature, we want to express our praise and our celebration of, uh, of people, of things. And it's the same with God. We lift up our hands in order just to celebrate and thank God for who He is. But what about this pure heart? What does it mean to have a pure heart? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And uh, the Gospel of Jesus, Jesus is interested in your heart. First and foremost, the Gospel is concerned about your heart. All of the emphasis on, on Jesus' teaching is centred around our hearts, centred around the heart of the person. Why? Because our heart, everything flows from our hearts. It's the fact, it's where everything else flows. It's the origin of all of our words and all of our actions, all of what we do. And so uh, what I want to kind of try and do is talk about four ways you can see God. From, from this psalm. Four ways you can know God, four ways you can see God. Um, but this is why I say you need to fasten your seatbelt because it, it's, it's a bit costly, some of this stuff. It's a bit awkward. Um, you might not want to stay as I talk about some of these things. Four ways that you can see God. And number one, uh, it's this costly offering of repentance. So, so for those of us who dare to climb the mountain of the Lord, it always starts with repentance. So when I was up in Italy walking around, I ended up on my knees in the middle of the... There's no one around, similar weird, all the tractors going around. It was just me and God and my karaoke tune. And I just ended up on my knees, and I just had to repent of certain things that just life had just got in the way, and... As starting a church, you kind of think it's all about you. Um, you think, like Jesus says, go and make disciples and he'll build the church. Sometimes I go, oh, well, I'll build the church and let Jesus do everything else. So I have to, think, I have to sort of say, actually, Jesus, you are doing this. And so, um, first we need to deal with our sin. Oh, or our stuff. The Bible talks about sin. And the great pastor, John Stott, he, he said that sin and the child of God are incompatible. They may occasionally meet, but they cannot live together in harmony. There's a time of worship is to be joyful and celebratory, to be loud. But there are also times where the most worshipful thing we can do is repent. Um, 
And I just want to say, sometimes the loudest worship is profoundly silent. And uh, as I was up on the, the mountain, uh, I felt God say, the first step on the mountain is on your knees. If you want to go to see God, sometimes the first thing you need to do is get on your knees and repent. And also, as a mature, for some of us who've been around the block a few times, we've been Christians a while, uh, I want to say this. Have you learnt to despise sin in your life? Mm. Maturing Christians absolutely hate sin. And have you put to death some of the some of the stuff in your life? So to become a person who's got this pure hands and, uh, and clean heart, we must put to death some of the sin in our life. And so to begin the mountain, I've even written it down, to begin to climb up the mountain normally starts on your knees. Number two, it's, all, it's this costly offering of self-denial. Going back to the psalm in verse 24, it says, Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not put their trust in an idol, or swear by a false god. Self-denial means removing some of those, what the Bible says about idols, False gods, false things in your life. Um, and so Colossians 3 talks about what's an idol. And here it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. So what are the idols in your life? Uh, I've been talking with some of the guys, and I've been saying, if you want a if you want a passport photo of me or a picture of me on your screen, whether it's on your smartphone or your laptop, or if you want that to kind of help you distract you from things going on your screen, I'm really happy to. I can send you different like, thumbnail sizes to, to figure one. If you've got like a widescreen TV, I can send you a fully, fully clothed Perseverance. So repentance, self-denial, and perseverance. 
if you think about mountain climbers, anyone can do it once. But to do it again and again and again, that ability to climb again, that ability to get up, to persevere, uh, means to become a marathon runner, not a sprinter. I remember just over a year ago, and we don't, we hadn't really started, and I was like, there's so many things we've got to do. Why haven't we taken ballot? You know, Bib and I were talking. Realise this isn't a sprint, this is a marathon. If we sprint, we're going to be burnt out and I'm going to be in all kinds of therapy and counselling if we're just going to be sprinting. But we have to learn to become marathon runners. James 1, verse 2, verse 12 says, Blessed are those who persevere under trial. Because when they stood the test, they will receive, I don't know if you thought that, they will receive crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I don't know if you've, you've ever read that before. So if you persevere under trial or you persevere under a test, God says that you're going to receive, receive a crown. just had enough. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've just had enough. Maybe you've given up already. Maybe you've just said that. Blow it. Stop it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up now. There's just no point in this Christianity. There's no point in me, in me trying to be the person my prophetic calling. There's no point in doing it because it's, I'm just getting stuck. Nothing's happening. Um, I felt God say, um, just really kindly and gently, he was just saying, get up, get up, get up and climb again. And also, there's no failure so big, there's no hurt that's so huge, there's no, talk about sin earlier, there's no sin so great that God cannot redeem you. There's nothing that you can do that other people have done to you or where you've given up that, that isn't big enough for God. And I, I believe that God can restore you. Uh, for some of us, you've had callings of, of greatness, callings of leadership, and you've just given up. And I, I feel like God's saying to you, for us to come back again. About eight, nine years ago, I sat, I used to sit at the back of church, and just, there's just no point. God had called me to such a good thing, such a great thing. And I, was, I remember sat at the back saying, there's just no point. Um, people told me all kinds of things that it's not going to happen, my marriage isn't going to work, we're about to get divorced, um, what God has called us here, it's just not going to work. And so I remember sitting at the back of church just saying, there's just no point. I might, I might as well just give up. And uh, I those of you who are feeling like that as well, I, I really, really believe that God wants just to say kindly and gently, get up. Get up again. And it's this costly offering of perseverance that we give, we give to God. God can use you. God wants to use you. Despite our past, God really, really loves you and can use you. And he can clear some of those debts.
clear from the engineer line to start again. So get up and hide. Get up and hide. Okay, number four. Uh, number four, costly offering. Another costly offering is faith. A costly offering of faith. More than anything else, what is required, and I want to propose, what is required of those who dare to climb up the mountain of God? And this is, this is where the rub is, I think. No matter how much you try, no matter how much you do it and you by yourself, no matter how much you repent, no matter how much you deny yourself, you sacrifice, you persevere, it's ultimately, just look at your hands again, it's ultimately God who gives you the clean hand and a clean heart. You cannot do this on your own. I cannot do this on your own. This whole nation of clean hands and a pure heart is, is reserved, according to Scripture, for people of faith. Those who put their trust in Jesus and Him alone. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher at Westminster, uh, Westminster Chapel, he said this about the Sermon on the Mount. And where Jesus, he taught, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And he says, Martin Joseph, the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount comes to us, as we read it, and says, there is a mountain you have to scale, the heights you have to climb. And the first thing you must realise, as you look at that mountain, which you're told you must ascend, is that you cannot do it. That you, that you are utterly incapable in and of yourself, and that any attempt to do it in your own strength, through your own great strategies, is proof positive that you haven't understood it. So in other words, it, um, I read as Proverbs 20 verse 9. It says, who, who can say I have kept a pure heart? Who can say I'm clean without sin? Who among, I don't know about you, who amongst us is sinless today? I don't, I don't think there's anyone. Who, who amongst us can say we've got a pure heart? We cannot do it on our own. But we, we just can't do it. But thanks be to God. This is, what, this is what God says in Matthew. Jesus says, with human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I, I want to propose it's God alone who's ultimately able to give us these clean hands and a pure heart. It's ultimately God that, as we, as we take August to develop, to cultivate this heart of worship, it's ultimately God who can give us this into true worship. And what we're called to do, number one, is humbly kneel before Jesus. And David, the, he wrote most of the Psalms. King David, in Psalm 51, he, said, he says of this, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord. And so it's God who cleans us. It's God who purifies us. Towards the end, the, the psalmist, um, in verse 7, it says, Lift up your heads. You gates, be lifted up your ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. And he's, he's asking this question now: Who is this King of Glory? Who is this person? And the, the psalmist.
psalmist, I want to he sings Jesus. See, the scriptures are full of Jesus. In the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came, and the New Testament, which are stories about Jesus and teachings. The psalmist, I want to sees Jesus. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And he says, and he says he's saying this to us now, lift up your head. Lift up your gates. Lift them up. Who is this King of glory? And with eyes of faith, he sees Jesus who ascends up a different mountain. If you see Jesus, he, he went to the hill of Golgotha and died for us. So he had to go up a mountain himself. Or more a hill, but technically we'll call it a mountain. <laughs> so who may ascend the hill of the Lord? You and I can. One of the most striking stories in the Bible, uh, just for me personally, is found in, in Luke 7, Luke chapter 7. It's about, it's a weird story, it's about this woman who the, the author Luke deliberately points out, and he says she's a sinful woman. And he makes that clear, other people, she calls him by name, he says this, this name, this person, but he, doesn't, he says this sinful woman, and the woman in the story, she hears what Jesus she hears about Jesus and she's eating at the house of this religious leader. And this gathering of sort of religious people, high caliber people. And clearly she's not welcome because she's a simple woman. But still she sees Jesus. And as she gets close to this house where Jesus is eating, she's probably seeing this crowd around, gathered around the house. And seeing this crowd, even though she's not allowed in the house, she's definitely not allowed in the house. Her heart just is filled. It's kind of a mixture of it's saint because of the disgust in other people's eyes about her, but also she's seen Jesus. She wants to get closer to Jesus. She can probably taste in her mouth all the whispers and the murmurs and the gossiping, the, the hate. But still, she pushes through to get to Jesus. She's come here on a mission, and she. I imagine her sort of bundling her way through the crowd. And what she's got, she's carrying, she's carrying this jar, uh, the most valuable thing that she owns, uh, this jar of perfume. It's probably worth about nine months a year. Caroline, you can help me. I reckon about a year's worth of wages. And quietly, this is, this is one of my favourite bits here. Quietly, with love and adoration in her heart, she, and tears of joy in her eyes, she, she begins to clean the feet of Jesus as this kind of prophetic sim, symbol of what Jesus is about to happen. But just in her own heart, she gets on her knees and she begins to clean the feet of Jesus. And the feet would have been horrible, walking around in the mud, mud all kinds of days. She, she wipes her. She wipes his feet with her hair. Her tears are filled with perfume there. This sinful woman in faith, she ascends the mountain of the Lord. But for that, that was a huge mountain for her to climb. But she sees the face of God. And that's what I love about the story. She, she saw the face of God. What did Jesus say? All the religious people were trying to stop her. Why is she doing that? We could have used that money for other things. But Jesus says, 
story is going to be well known. This woman who was poured out herself and this offering is going to be known for generations. And Jesus, he loves sinners. Like you and me. George Mallory, remember the beginning of the George Mallory, the reason that he climbed Mount Everest, because it was there. For us as Christians, those who worship God, we, we ascend the mount of the Lord because that's where God is. And I don't think we need any other reason. So as we, we're going to take the communion now, uh, and as we, as we symbolically remember what Jesus has done, uh, I, I want you to kind of check yourself. Are there things that you still think about? Are there things where you just need to put this aside, put aside some of the idols in your life? Or is God saying, you get up, keep going, keep persevering, and give God that offering? For some of us who are desperately married, give God that, that idol of marriage that we put in our lives. For some of us who feel lonely, give God that offering of loneliness. For some of us who are stressed, oppressed or depressed, give God that offering. Give God that thing. So um, the guys are going to come out. What we do here is just uh, we grab grab a piece of bread, take with you a, a thimble of uh, it's cranberry juice, just for anyone who's got issues with alcoholism. Um, and here we have this open table. Anyone can come, just like anyone came to Jesus. And everyone's welcome to Jesus. If you know and love Jesus, or want to know and love Jesus, come. Take a chunk of bread, take a thimble with you. And then what I'm going to do is get you to go back to your seat. And off, as you take, as you take the juice, take the bread, give God something of yourself. So why don't we stand and I'm, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing and then uh, do come down here. Jesus, I thank you. You made the, the most costly offering for all of us. As you hung on that tree on the hill of Golgotha, it was for, for us. And as, as human beings, we've been searching, climbing to find you in all kinds of ways. But thank you, God, that you've already come, that you've made a way for us. Thank you that you've died, that when you suffered for us, where your body was broken and battered and bruised and, and crushed for us, so that we could be free of all our sins. And thank you that you, you rose again so that we can rise again with you. So come, come and um, in your own time. Take a, a thimble, grab some bread, and then we're going to...